you got the call. Welcome to the big leagues, kid. on everyone welcome back to the call-up presented by triple play fantasy a special episode coming for you guys today we love to of course talk about our normal layout players of the week guys you got our eye on but if you were living under a rock the trade deadline happened in major league baseball over the last week which means so many prospects are flipping teams flipping hands and in some cases, that means that they're going to have an easier path to get to the big leagues. More playing time, positions are opening up where they didn't have necessarily spots before. So we thought an awesome episode for you guys would be to talk about the most notable prospects in these trades. And we took it a step further, and we thought, why don't we do a draft? Because who does not love doing drafts? So, of course, we've got our guys Vinny, Mike, and Josh on the podcast tonight. Mike, my friend, how are you doing? It's going pretty good, Mindy. Uh, glad to be here with you guys. You know, it's actually the first time we've had all four of us on the show together, so it should be fun. Josh definitely made the group chat more festive. He, he actually did. came up with the show idea to mix it up with our draft here, so he's already making his mark. How's, how's your week going, Vinny? It's going good. After that crazy trade deadline, you know, we have playoff the push for the playoffs now and this is getting interesting now Vinny, you have to get used to saying how are you doing josh yeah <laughs> well i i guess it, in short time here i will be i'll be starting off the chain reaction but Vinny, was that was that sarcastic when you said it was a crazy deadline or did you genuinely mean it no it was pretty wild at one point i thought anyone could be traded but yeah just there's a couple guys that got traded but we'll talk about pretty soon that it's pretty mind blowing. Well, well, oh, go ahead, Josh. I was saying I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, from my perspective, of course, solely from what the Red Sox were doing, it was a very uneventful, nothing happened, boring deadline. So it's good. It's good to get some counter perspectives here. You mean Luis Urias wasn't good enough for you? Oh well, no, he was the move of the deadline, but uh, <laughs> that was the only <laughs> trade we made. I would have liked a couple more. In, in all fairness, I think Vinny's pretty deep into all the stuff, watching like everything unfold, all the rumors and everything. So it probably feels pretty crazy. Like yeah. you're going through a roller coaster ride of things that don't happen and might happen and do happen. Yeah. I will yeah. say that Vinny pulled a Bob Nightingale and he put in our group chat. He he said that Lancelin had been traded or was going to be traded and then ended up being a few, like I think it was like a day or two later. And I was like, dang it, Vinny, you got me excited. And I yeah. saw it fell apart. And then also adding on to the time traveler claim, I did call the Jack Flaherty to Baltimore with Doc and Marty on the uh, the live stream. You did. So, you did. That was that was pretty cool. Pretty good prediction there. What are the uh, lottery numbers for tonight, Vinny? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I knew. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get into the good stuff. We did do a draft of all of the notable minor league players that dealt to different teams in the uh, trade deadline here. And Vinny and Mike were gracious enough to give Josh and I the first pick. Josh and I were going back and forth a little bit here with this pick, but we ultimately settled, settled on what we thought was the number the 101 here and Kyle Manzardo going from the Tampa Bay Rays to the Cleveland Guardians, who now have a hole at first base with Josh Bell being dealt to the Marlins. Now, I think, Josh, some things here with Kyle Manzardo. He has struggled versus lefties his entire minor league career. So there is the scared aspect, or whatever you want to call it, that he could be a platoon player. But I do think he has a better opportunity to actually play against lefties in Cleveland than he would have with the Rays. And the Rays have just not seemed like they want to call up that many prospects right now because of how great the major league team is at the moment. Uh, what are your thoughts on us going Manzardo one, uh, 1.1 here? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the platoon risk is uh, greatly decreased now that he's out of Tampa Bay, who loves to platoon their players. Uh, I don't know if there's the same risk in Cleveland. I will say, though, but before I get into my thoughts on Manzardo, uh, you, you you said a couple things there that I, I'm, I'm not sure I uh, agree with. And I have to uh, I have to uh, I just get it on the record. The first thing is you said that they graciously gave us the first pick. I was horrified to have the first pick. <laughs> In my mind, there was a clear top four players, and I, I'm just minding my own business. I get in the group chat, and I see you guys are divvying up the picks, and you volunteer to have the first pick without ever consulting me. So <laughs> now we're, we're forced here to make the, the first pick, and uh, I'm, I, we went Manzardo. Uh, you, I, we say we. It was really you went Manzardo, and I allowed it. I, I, I have some uh, concerns. For sure, I think the first concern is just who traded him away, the Tampa Bay Rays. That makes me nervous. They win a lot of trades. They that, also traded Joe Ryan for Nelson Cruz. That is true. They, they have not made, and not all of their trades are hits, but they have a pretty high hit rate. Uh, and that's kind, of, that's kind of a joke reason. I'm not, I'm not serious really about that. But I wanted to read, I, I pulled up a scouting report for Manzardo. I just wanted to read real quick. It says, Manzardo's stance and left-handed swing are simple and well-timed. He is a pure hitter who presents uh, pitchers with a puzzle. He rarely swings and misses at pitches in the zone, and he knows the zone well enough to rarely swing at pitches off the plate. All great, but that, then we get to this comment. Manzardo doesn't hit the ball exceptionally hard, 88-mile-per-hour 88 average exit velocity, but he knows how to yank the ball over the fence and he peppers the gaps with a swing that can drive the ball to all fields. Manzardo posts high batting averages despite the fact that he's a bottom of the scale runner who gets no infield hits. Manzardo was much better at home than on the road in 2022 and his Bowling Green and Montgomery home parks might have boosted his power output. Despite his lack of foot speed, Manzardo is a competent first baseman with good hands and an average arm. He handles what he gets to with few issues, but his range is limited. What I want to highlight here, I'm concerned of this, this uh, idea that Manzardo, at a position in fantasy where we expect power, is not necessarily a power bat. Now, he's going to hit more home runs in some other positions, but when looking at him from the viewpoint of him being a first base, He's going to hit less home runs than you are traditionally going to be relying on with that position. And and so when we look at it that way, I think that Manzardo might be a one-tool player. And when we're looking at his performance this year, he's hitting only 238. So is he even one-tool player? He might be a zero-tool player. And oh, I, man. I was trying to find some player comps for him and the comp I came up with, and I, I'm inviting anyone here to tell me I'm wrong. Uh, my player comp for him was Joey Manessis. Um who is uh, 180th on the Rasball player rater. He's hitting 280. He's got eight home runs. I expect Manzara to hit more home runs than that. And he's got zero stolen bases. I think, uh, but if you look at the, the average output, the less than ideal power output, and the fact that he's now on a bad offense in Cleveland, Cleveland's offense is worse than Washington's offense. I'm, I'm, I want someone to tell me that Manzardo was the right pick here, and he wasn't. Uh, he's not Joey Manessis. What if he's uh, James Loney? <laughs> I, mean, I think I'll throw something in there. I, I think I can't really disagree with a lot of stuff you're saying, but you're looking at only this season and the worst case outcome. I mean, he, he was basically the guy who profiled the most, like um, his name's the, the Royals first baseman last year. Pasquino. Not Vinny Pasquino. 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 Yeah. And, and I think, I think he doesn't have as much power as him, but it's like a, it's like a mix. If he works out, he's a mix of Pasquantino best case outcome like a freddie freeman type of guy yeah because he's because he's got 20 plus home. he's not a huge slugger but he's got that 300 plus average minus minus the steals right freddie freeman stealing without, minus steals. Steals. Freeman without it's like a 85 percent freddie freeman minus steals yeah that would be a great player. player at first base yeah i would say manzardo probably as a floor is similar to like a logan morrison i'm bringing up a name from the past I think we're still waiting for the power. Like we have seen the guardians really fail when it comes to, especially first base prospects, like of recent, like John Kenzie Noel comes to mind, but he, he didn't have the same kind of hit tool that Manzardo possesses. You know, Manzardo also was dealing with injuries early this season. He's, you know, trickling back to play. I think 
it's probably going to be, uh, it's going to be a long road, especially this season. But I think we're, if we're looking towards probably middle next season, end of next season to start seeing a return from Manzoga. So I, I do want to say, I say all that because I am now making it my sole goal to tear down everyone's picks for the remainder of the draft <laughs> while pumping up our own. So I'm just yeah. showing that I can do it both ways. But I think I think really we had to go Minzardo 1-1. Yeah, I mean, he could be a James Loney. I want you guys to acknowledge James Loney. A no, I think he's going to be better than James Loney. In a 284 career batting average. 108 home runs. more power more power than james yeah. what's freddie freeman's career average gotta be around 300 i'm sure it's yeah. higher than that he'll be better um, than matt mervis that's all it matters we so yeah. basically we just got freddie freeman and maybe the closest proximity pick in the draft i guess we should say we uh removed anyone who's already in the majors so uh canzone won't be picked i think he probably would have been picked mm. towards the end of the draft and unfortunately also luis uh arias was not picked uh, he would have been the 101. Yeah, sure. he would have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Vinny's player, who took the player that, I, as soon as this pick was made, Josh sent me a private chat and said, I knew we should have taken him. And that was Luis Angel Acuna, the brother of Ronald Acuna, 21 years of age right now in A, and over 300 batting average, seven homers, but 42 stolen bases. The power is definitely not there like his older brother, but he's got speed and he's got a lot of tools, Vinny. Yeah, this move was really eye-popping because I think this solidifies the future of Ronnie Mauricio. They went out and got themselves their future shortstop. Uh, besides the power, if Angel eventually gets into at least average power, he has the potential for five tools. He has speed. He has the hit tool. He has the arm. He has the glove. It's the power that we're waiting for. Like, if we're talking about uh, just a bat in that organization that they got, like, he might honestly be the best hit tool in that organization. Now, like, it's going to be a tie between him and Dil- uh, uh, him and Gilbert. But if we're talking about they moved Max Scherzer, who has had a horrendous year with them and has been having fallout with the front office for a easy top 30 prospect in baseball and potentially – he could, you know, end up being their franchise player. Like this puts a lot of smoke, not only behind Mariso, but this is going to put some smoke behind. Um, well, I can't think of his name. Uh, shorts, a Lindor. Like now he has to watch his back for this because I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if we, he's played at double a all year this year, I would not be surprised if we saw Acuna sometime this year in triple a knocking on the door, maybe next year too. So, you know, maybe uh, it's time to start getting out of some of your Mauricio shares. I know the the stock has really fallen in the past couple months, but it's going to turn into a real mess there in the infield for the Mets going forward. Yeah, it definitely um, it wasn't, you know, the Mets selling in general was very interesting. And like you said, Mauricio, they're having him work in left field. So it does open a path for him to eventually get there. Um, are you surprised Vinny that they were able to get him in terms of just with the whole situation with Max Scherzer that they were able to pluck a prospect like him? Not really because how much money that, you know, they had to either eat or give to another team. You, you probably, you were expecting at least a top 10 prospect, but for it being on Helicunia, I think it's a little shocking because it does give us, you know, an answer to the whole Ronnie Mauricio thing. And then to double down on that, they called up players before the deadline to stay at their hotel in Kansas city. And Ronnie Mauricio was not one of them. So they made it very clear that they do not want him, you know, in the future plans right now. Or maybe they're trying to hold his rookie eligibility for next year and bring him up at the end of August. I don't, I don't know. I feel like because he he started off the year very hot too, and that lineup really needed an impactful bat, and they just didn't give him a chance. I don't know. It'll be something to watch, especially going into next season. I doubt we see him in the Arizona Fall League. We might this year. If we see him in the Fall League and he starts playing left field, I think that's probably going to be the telltale sign that he's going to be probably an option next year. But very interesting move, I will say. 
Vinny, I, I have some questions for you. I promise I don't have this many thoughts for everyone's picks, but <laughs> specifically these first few picks, I really got to make sure the audience understands that we won the draft. So my so first, you mentioned you mentioned Lindor. What what do you think they're going to do with Lindor? Lindor signed through twenty thirty one. I don't know. After the after the Mets moving Scherzer and Verlander at the deadline, I don't think anyone's safe there anymore. Like 2031, though, 2031. And there's Jeff already deals I know. And there's already rumors that they might move Alonzo in the offseason. So I don't see anyone safe on that roster, maybe besides like Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez. Like it sounds like they want to go into a rebuild mode and aim for 2025. You know, in, in Vinny's to... defense, I think Acuna profiles better as second baseman, anyways. So I yeah, would expect it'll be... him to take over at second base if they still have Lindor at short at that time. Yeah. And like I said, he's athletic enough that I would not be surprised even if they did give him run at shortstop. Like the the tools that he possesses is going to prioritize his spot in the lineup. Now, Mendy did give away some of my uh, my true feelings about Acuna here, giving away my my DM that I knew we should have picked him <laughs> at one. But I just want to throw out there: Would we be picking him this high if he had a different last name? What if it was yeah, Luis, Luis. Not at this little, point. Uh, we, we and we talked a little bit about this. It, he's he's proven it at this point. I mean, the forty-two steals this year. He's up in Double A. He's been young. He's been productive at each level. You know, just like Vinny said, hasn't got to the power. But I don't think that was ever a big part of his profile. You know, twelve to fifteen home runs, maybe up to twenty if he muscles up a little bit. But the steals are real, mm-hmm. and the OBP my, and, the, my, and average will be good. You are a competitor with Vinny here. What is this? <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just talking about the players, you know. I don't really see this as a Oh, my goodness. All right, well, Mike, let's stay with you because you had back-to-back picks here, starting with Drew Gilbert, who I was the other one I was considering personally at the 101 with the New York Mets now. Outfielder, 22 years of age, in between two levels this season, has hit 274, 363, 458, 12 home runs and 10 steals. Both all the numbers across the board very impressive here. Talk to us first about Drew Gilbert and what the Mets are getting. Yeah, so as far as this particular draft goes, this was the easiest pick I made. You know, I wasn't sure which direction Vinny would end up going. You know, I thought there was a decent chance I'd end up with Acuna, but uh, Josh mentioned top four. For me, it was top three that were in their own tier in this. In and I've talked about Gilbert once or twice already this season, so I won't go super deep. But he's listed with an average hit tool, above average raw power, and plus speed. As far as I'm concerned, the hit tool is underrated since coming out of college. His 11% walk rate and 18.7K percentage through two levels this year suggests he's above average to me. He's even reduced his K percentage down to 17% since his promotion to double A. So, I mean, if you agree with this, you're looking at above average to plus across the board, which always is appealing to me. His critics might point out to the noticeable decline in production between high A and double A, and I can't argue with that. It definitely happened, but the the level jumps often the most difficult in the minors. It's it's not uncommon for players to take some time to adjust. I'd be more concerned if he had started the season there and struggled, but this is the second level. I mean, I think it's safe to say if, if Gilbert had transitioned more smoothly to double A, he'd be sitting in the same range as players like Evan Carter and Pete Crow Armstrong on prospect lists. I'm a pretty firm believer in him still. If anything, I see this as a buy low window. A lot of dynasty managers want that quick, smooth, transition through each level but that's not really how most prospects work you know it's pretty rare to see like jackson holiday cruise through each level like he's too advanced i think gilbert's got a, a fantasy friendly skill set i think the mets did a nice job landing him in the verlander deal our boy josh may suggest the other prospect <laughs> they landed in the deal is actually the headliner but i think gilbert's ability to steal bases will ultimately make him more coveted for like roto leagues and i think we see gilbert sometime in like mid-season next year he might begin next year at double A again too, but if that happens, I expect him to crush the level like he did in high this year and, and be up in triple A quick. He's still a borderline, you know, top 50 prospect for me today. So it's interesting. Drew Gilbert, do you think because the Mets outfield problems that he would have an, an easier path now to get to the big leagues, the fact that they don't have as much stability? Yeah, I think that always makes sense. You know, I, I think Houston's clearly a better organization. They're not, they do have spots in the outfield for a player like Gilbert, but I think it'll be easier. I think he's, I think he's definitely going to slide in as their right fielder long-term. Mm-hmm. Well, then you had a second pick here to make Vinny and you took Jake. I'm assuming it's eater. Yes. Jake eater, the heater. 
the way he throws heat on that mound. Left-handed pitcher going to the Chicago White Sox here, 24 years of age. And between two levels this season has a 412 ERA, 135 whip, uh, 28.1% K rate here. Mike, so obviously the White Sox need help in a big way, and they're kind of starting a mini rebuild here. And Jake Eater is somebody they uh, hopefully, I think, in their long-term plans, they're, they're hoping really blossom into a, a great young pitcher for them. Yeah, so this was a point in the draft. Like I said, I, th- I like the top three in their own tier, and I think you could have gone several directions here. I definitely considered the three hitters that went after me here, but ultimately decided to go with the player that I thought has the most upside from a fantasy perspective. And I don't think Eater is the top-ranked player available here, but his his profile and skill set, if he reaches his potential, I think he'll have more fantasy value than these other hitters remaining. So essentially, I, th- I think he surpasses these other hitters if he if he shows he can remain healthy. And that combined with his proximity was ultimately the reason I picked him. I think he'd already be in the majors if he hadn't gotten injured. I usually begin with scouting grades or something positive, but I'll start with the red flags. He he just returned from Tommy John surgery. He's already 24 years old in double A. His numbers this year don't jump off the page. And, and frankly, leaving the Marlins organization for the White Sox doesn't really improve his stock. I, I'm still interested in him, but I would have been more so if he had stayed in that pitcher-friendly envir- environment. The White, White Sox haven't exactly developed a ton of consistent arms, so there, there's some reasons to be wary. But if, but if you're, if you're, so if you're someone who like already has the like, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect mindset. Like someone like Eater probably won't appeal to you. But if you go back to like 2021, and you could see what the possibilities could be that season before getting injured. You know he, he'd already dominated Double A at age 22. He had a 177 ERA, 34% strikeout rate. Batters were hitting 168 against him. I mean, he was one of the best pitching prospects in the minors that season. And, and I know we can't overlook the injury and passing of time, but there's a lot to like here if he can remain healthy. You know, pitchers getting injured is part of the game. So it's not just it's not just him that has that risk involved. Basically, I wouldn't put a ton of stock into his, his performance this season. It takes time for them to get back. I think this is a good time to target Eater in Dynasty Leagues before he truly gets back to form. Mm-hmm. We may not fully see it till next season, but, you know, the White Sox aren't shy about promoting pro- prospects. They clearly see him in the rotation at some point next year. He could potentially make the opening day roster considering his age, but uh, an early season call up definitely in in the in the cards. And the last thing I'll say, you know, for anyone who has doubts, is on his Fangraphs page it says, "I quote: Nearly back from Tommy John, Eater might be the lefty Spencer Strider." Oh. You know, I don't I don't want to put that label on him, but I think that speaks volumes about his potential. Like this isn't a standard pitcher. He's probably their first pitcher that they're going to call up him or somebody else that we're going to get to uh, later on in this episode, just because if you look at just their, the minor league depth chart of just their prospects, um, they have a lot of guys, double a triple a, but don't see a lot. Don't seem to have the same upside that he does. Um, so he's uh, yeah, just- I definitely think he's their best. Uh, I, I would put him as their number two prospect behind Colson Emery right now in their top pitching prospect. All right, Demendi. I've got to say, you're you're also working against me here. You're not you're not giving me any time to to tear down tear down these picks. I I just need a real quick say. I, what, I was ahead. Coming, I was coming <laughs> in here. I was planning to ask you if Drew Gilbert's power was going to make him. A, uh, it was going to be a prom and fancy. But then, but then, Michael, I saw I saw his face, and I had not seen Drew Gilbert before, and that is a good looking dude. And let me say <laughs> that guy is going to be a star. I'm sold on him. So I scratch that question. I'm a believer. Um, it's, as far- like, it's like Doc fantasy advice. <laughs> <Maybe look. laughs> no, but but for real, his power's not. We wouldn't say it's that big of a problem, would you? Would you, Michael? No, I think like it said, the scouting grade says above average raw power. Right. So I, I think he'll get to eighteen to twenty-two home runs in his prime. Definitely. And then as as far as Eater, I actually. Don't read too much into the question. Uh, may or may not be asking it for selfish reasons. But do you think there's anything about the White Sox pitching development that can fix uh, maybe some command problems the Eater has flashed this year? No. I think Ugh, I think he has to I kind need. of be the guy that the Marlins had two years ago. I don't think the White Sox organization has shown enough to say that we're going to fix that. But I also don't think he actually has command problems. I think this is just Tommy John. You're uh, you're probably right. I was looking to use your own words against you later, but you answered incorrectly, so that backfired. Nice. It, I did that on purpose. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man. And then uh so now let's go from uh Eater to Vinny's second pick here. Edgar Cuero says we're sticking with the Chicago White Sox. The other major prospect they got at the trade deadline, 20 years of age in double A, a 240 hitter at the catcher position. Uh, and Vinny, for everything I've researched about him, he has what it seems like to be the bat, but they're trying to work on him defensively. Is that, is that correct? Yes. See, Cuero is a case of we've been pretty much spoiled with 20 year olds in double A in the past couple years. We've, usually seen them come to double a and have, you know, crazy kind of seasons. Like look at Churio. Now we're starting to see it with uh, Jordan Lawler. Like Cuero, remember completely skipped high A this year. Like he went from low A inland and they threw him straight to rocket city this year, which is kind of telling to their development. They must like the coaches in rocket city a lot more than they do up in high A. But even for a 20-year-old, he's been holding his own. Like, I know they've been prioritizing his defense because they know the bat's pretty legit. But still, for him to put up solid numbers from just completely skipping a level is pretty eye, just eye-popping. I do have some concerns, though. I don't know if the power is going to be more than average. Like, I would have loved to seen a little bit more, you know, juice out of the bat. Like, the current numbers right now are not promising, but, you know, this could be also being uncomfortable at a higher level. Like, 13 doubles and three home runs to 47 singles is not really, not really piquing my interest. But looking back to last year's numbers, tells a different story. He had, you know, nearly 40 doubles and nearly 20 home runs. So it's probably just being uncomfortable at the level. But if we're talking about a cornerstone type of catcher for an organization, Cuero fits the bill. Like he has a plus arm, the receiving skills, you know, they're getting work. I think they could be solid, maybe a little above average, but it's kind of, it's kind of uh, important to look at this at, from the white Sox perspective they're starting to mesh all of these young pitchers with Cuero at double a, we have Christian Mena now Edder, you know, you're going to have Noah Schultz probably within next year in double a. And I expect Cuero to probably repeat at triple uh, at double a next year. Like they're starting to build their little core foundation. I would have liked them to at least picked up at least one more big impactful, either uh, infield or outfield bat at the deadline. But yeah, I, you know, we've seen Cuero at his best be inside the top 60 prospect wise. So if we're talking about future return from him, I'm I I still think he's gonna be really good. And yeah. we'll have a fast track to help the Chicago White Sox because they need the help offensively and definitely need a cornerstone in their lineup because uh it, it's a mess right there now in in Chicago. So I'm assuming we'll probably see him sometime next season, I would think, just the way He's progressed, and uh, that will be something to keep an eye on. Josh, I'm <laughs> going to turn the spotlight over to you because I took the wheel with our first pick, and I felt bad. And I said, Josh, it's like uh, it's like when you're playing, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was going to compare it to, but I felt bad. And I said, Josh, these next two picks are yours to do with whatever you would like. And you said, I want to get Ryan Clifford because I feel like he's a steal here. So I'm going to let you talk up Ryan Clifford who is also another piece going to the New York Mets, a first base outfielder, 20 years of age, hit 291 so far this season, 18 home runs, 61 RBIs, a 222 ISO, just a plain slugger here. Yes, I uh, I do. I would like to point out that my, I mentioned I had a top four earlier. Those were Manzardo, Acuna, Gilbert, and, and Cuero. So if we had gone with any other pick here, we would have gone two of the top four in my book, but uh nonetheless we go to my my second tier here and i'm going to pretend that i have clifford even higher than drew gilbert as was teased <laughs> a little earlier um I, i'm gonna lead off the i want to lead it off this way i'm gonna take a little bit of a, a different approach here and i'm actually gonna read a tweet from bob nightingale now if, if you know bob nightingale if you know the baseball scene he infamously is 
the worst at tweeting correct facts. Yes. He he is incredible at being wrong. And so there was a there was a special gem of his that came out. Um it was uh it was before we knew the full details of the of the trade that ended up sending Clifford and Gilbert to the to the Mets. Um, and this is this is what it reads. It says the Astros are sending their best prospect to the Mets, outfielder Logan Gilbert, as Feinstein reported, and a fringe prospect. Now, I think there are obviously two things wrong about this tweet, but I wanna I wanna add there's a third thing wrong. Just to, just to really put the point down here. First off, he calls Drew Gilbert Logan Gilbert not nope not the pitcher bob nice try uh we're talking about drew gilbert he then calls ryan clifford a fringe prospect which i think even us my competitors here would say is pretty crazy to call this kid a fringe prospect he is definitely not a fringe prospect and but the third thing i wanted to point out is bob says they're sending their best prospect and let's give him the benefit of the doubt here he meant drew gilbert their best prospect drew gilbert now in my mind, Bob is always wrong. So if he's calling Drew Gilbert their best prospect, <laughs> they must have another prospect who is better. And I think, why not Ryan Clifford? Okay, so let's let's finally get in. Let's finally get into Clifford here. He was uh, I, for some people I've seen describe him as of kind of coming out of nowhere this year, but that's not exactly true. He was an eleventh round pick um, for the Astros, but he did get their second highest signing bonus in that draft class. It was in the millions, I believe uh, it was at least well over a million dollars. And I think often that will tell you more about a player than, than where they were drafted when you're looking at the MLB draft. So he does come with some pedigree there. They're, in the Astros mind, they took him in the 11th, but they gave him their the second most uh, their second largest signing bonus. Um, and then if you, you start getting into the, his actual numbers and this kid, in my mind, he doesn't, he doesn't have the speed that Gilbert has, but he has what I call the fantasy trifecta when I'm looking for who's going to be a valuable hitter for my team. And that is he has um, an above average. Uh, he has above average bat to ball skills. He has an above average approach and he has absolutely elite power. At least he's shown elite power this year. Um, and I think when I'm when I'm looking for someone I want on my team, I want someone who has good control of the strike zone like he has, makes really good contact, and then when he does make contact, just hits the absolute crap out of the ball. And I think we picked a guy in our first round in Manzardo who's lacking some power. This is Manzardo with power, maybe not quite as good of a hit tool, but what we're lacking in power from Manzardo, we're now we're now getting in in droves here from Ryan Clifford. So I'm pretty excited to add Ryan Clifford here to, to our, uh, our, our class here. Vinny or Mike, what do you guys think of the pick? Whoever wants to chime in, do you feel that this was a good spot for him? Are you as ambitious and uh, excited as Josh is about the future of what could be for uh, Mr. Ryan Clifford here? Yeah, Clifford, I remember uh, going into the draft, he was – pretty much anywhere from the end of the first round to like back end of the second, he pretty much fell due to signability issues. Yeah. But for the Astros to get him in the 11th to buy him out of college was pretty, pretty insane. Um, I do have concerns with the hit tool though. That would be my only problem with him, but he looks like, I don't know, maybe even 55 power might be an understatement. Like he could potentially have 60 raw power. I just want to see how the Mets handle his development because we've seen we've seen big power hitters in their organization before and we've seen them fizzle out when they hit double A. Like right now, we're barely holding on hope for Alexander Ramirez or uh, Alex Ramirez in their organization. But I think he's young enough, and uh, you know, coming from a very good developmental uh, system like Houston. I think maybe it'll just be his tools that play him out the rest of the time in the Mets org. But yeah, this is, he's probably a corner outfielder at best. I don't know if he plays first base. I don't think he's played any first base this year. So he's probably either going to be a right or left fielder, but yeah, that power is going to really play up over there in New York. Love to hear that then. So then Josh, our other pick, Thomas Segez. You guys were saying it before the show too. Is it Segezi? 
the, a lot of people have been saying that, but I was, I was watching some clips of announcers and they, they seem to be saying, so JC. So that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to roll with here. I've, uh, I've been calling him Sadducee in my, in my head, uh, in my head for a really long time. So he's not someone who's, who's just like popped up on my radar. He's a guy I've kind of liked for a while. Um, I actually, can we, can we back out of his stats for a little bit? Yeah, I want to. I want to play a game of of Would You Rather with Vinny. I think it's a tough game. I think it's I think it's pretty fifty fifty. But I, I want to tell you about that. We have two twenty one year olds, both in double A, so they're doing well. They're staying on they're staying on track of what I consider elite prospect age, um, twenty one in double A. You mentioned we've been seeing some twenty year olds in double A. That's just otherworldly. But two twenty one year olds, they're both hitting quite well. So let's say they have they both have around 380, 381 BABIP. That they're hitting 313, 315, and get have an on base percentage around 379, 3, 377 around there. So they're they're equal in that regard. Now, one of these guys, he's a he's a complete menace on the base paths. Let's say he has over 40 steals. The other guy, um, he doesn't have he's not he's not elite power, but he trades off that elite speed for some power. And he's and he's slugging uh and he has a slugging percentage in ISO 60 points higher than this the speed guy um and has 16 home runs at the age of 21 so i i find this dilemma a lot in fantasy especially when you're looking at minor leaguers because they still you steal tons of bags in the minors it's always hard to tell just how real it is you taking the guy with the absurd number of steals or you taking the guy that's uh that's hitting well and has a little bit extra power yeah i think i'm gonna take luis angel acuna <laughs> okay you yeah. saw right through me there yeah. <laughs> Once you said 40 steals, it was dead giveaway. Yeah. Uh, Segezi, I don't know. Like, I think we're seeing his absolute ceiling right now. Um, I, I want to see a little bit more because he's had, you know, shaky, shaky performance inconsistencies in the past. With Acuna, we've seen a steady track of improvement through every level. You know, if Segezi keeps this or Segezi keeps this up through AAA, I think then we need to start taking him more serious. But right now, it's more like a sit back and watch how he transitions to finish the finish the year in AA. Yeah, I I, I actually don't I don't know if I necessarily agree that we've seen an up and down career from Segezi. He's a guy. I, if you don't know much about me, I'm a data guy. I'm a I'm a data analyst by trade. I'm I'm someone who scouts the stat line way more than I should. And this is your classic. His stat line has been has been pretty good for a really long time. Um, this year we've seen his his walk rate crater, but I'm just looking at his WRC pluses here. And he went 145 at, at the complex league, 133 his first introduction to low A, 177 in this year in low A, and now he's at 139 um, in high A this year. He he produces from the stat line. He he's just not as toolsy as some of his his old teammate, you know, Acuna or, or other top prospects. Yeah, it almost looks like he's on a similar track to have a similar performance as last year. Just looking at, you know, last year he finished the year with 30 walks. Right now he's at 35. And, you know, he has a little bit more strikeouts, and there's still a lot of baseball left. But you know, it's an interesting profile. I just don't know how valuable it is. For fantasy, I think he's limited when it comes to speed. And then even with the the kind of log jam in the uh, the Cardinals infield right now, maybe if we see a piece or two moved this offseason, maybe I get a little bit higher on him. But it's I got to see a little bit more before I start going all in. And I, I just need to say I was I had the wrong I had the the wrong stats pulled up there completely for first to JC. I still had Ryan Clifford up his his WRC plus just for to correct. Uh, 127 in low A, 127 in high A. I mean, I literally said at the beginning of my speech, he's in double A now. He went 206. For, it was really short sample size, five games last year at double A. Um, then he had 133 with uh, Texas this year in, in a short sample of two games for St. Louis. He's at 173. But yeah, I think I think you're right. If his if his he he needs to hit for some power to have any value in fantasy, um, because he's we're really we're looking at a guy who's a zero in speed. I think. Um, and so that the power's got to, got to stay there and he's got to obviously keep hitting 300. I mean, not in the majors, but you know what I mean? All right. Then let's now Vinny, let's go to your next pick here. Wow. Takoa Ruby, Roby. What a name. I'm should name <laughs> one of my kids that, uh, Takoa Roby of the same St. Louis Cardinals in double a 21 years of age. 
46.1 innings on the season, a 5.05 ERA, 0.95 whip, more than a strikeout per inning. What are your thoughts? I mean, obviously the ERA doesn't tell the whole story here, uh, but the Cardinals do really need the pitching. And Dakota Roby seems like he's got some decent strikeout stuff. The walks aren't horrible right now, 2.33 per nine. Talk to us about, for those that have never heard the name Dakota Roby, um, what what is he like? What is the uh, What are the Cardinals getting? Yeah, I'll keep it short and sweet with this one. Um, so Roby is uh, very, very good if you start looking at the underlying stats. He's had a, 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 a an at least 11K9 pretty much all through the minors except this year. Um, he possesses three-plus pitches, 55-plus. You know, I would even argue that his fourth pitch, which is, you know, a changeup, is arguably a 55-2, like he has the tools. This is a perfect Cardinals type of uh, developmental pitcher. You know, it's pretty much control that's really screwing him up right now. But we we have seen the Cardinals absolutely hammer out guys with, you know, control issues or, you know, repeatable delivery, like delivery tweaks and stuff like that. At Roby's ceiling, I think he's easily a top 100 prospect, potentially top 10 pitching prospect in baseball. Like if we start throwing everything together, he's uh, at an upside, probably an SP3, you know, maybe a floor of uh, an impactful reliever. But he's one of my favorite landing spots at this deadline. And I think he could have pretty, pretty big return if we're talking fantasy wise, if you're stashing him. Okay, I like that. This next pick then, Mike, let's pick up the pace a little bit here. Many have heard the name Khalil Watson. One of the mo- like more hyped prospects a few years ago was really, really struggled with the Marlins, and they shipped him off to Cleveland. They also shipped off, uh, the Guardians shipped off Ahmed Rosario, who didn't play as much shortstop anymore with Andres Jimenez there, but Watson is a shortstop, has always had power, but his sh- just had problems with the strikeouts his entire minor league career uh, and on the season not even the numbers aren't necessarily great 208 batting average 337 obp he's got nine homers and 14 steals that looks good but the k rate's still nearing 28 percent uh do you think the guardians might be able to fix him because it seems like it's just been the same old story with him for the last couple of years yeah, really quickly before I get started on Watson, I have to acknowledge I had a little meltdown in the group chat yesterday <laughs> with, on, on Vinny's pick of Tacoa Roby last night. I, I ended up having flashbacks to draft season, just getting sniped on players. I was jumping <laughs> ADP on. I thought that was a great pick. Uh, so as, as for Khalil Watson, he's one. He's interesting. Like you said, a lot of a lot of down stuff going on, but he ended up slipping to 16th overall in the 2021 draft because of makeup concerns. And, and those issues kind of appeared last season. He was suspended with an alt- for an altercation with an umpire. So I don't like to focus on the negative with players, but that has to at least be factored into things. And obviously you're hoping he's just a young kid who will mature and, instead of it carrying into his late 20s and derails his potential. But his stock has definitely taken a hit. He's listed with a below average hit tool, plus raw power and plus speed. Obviously looking at that, it's pretty evident what type of player he projects to be. I mean, he brings that power speed element we want from a premium position. It's just a matter of how much improvement he can make with this hit tool. I think that's ultimately going to be the determining factor in how value becomes on the baseball side. And we've seen plenty of flashy players with power and speed. Some of them end up with as the best players in the game. Others end up near the bottom of the order of part-time role because they can't make enough contact to put all their other tools to use. Considering his pedigree and age and position, fantasy relevant tools, I think it's a mistake to completely dismiss him. I mean, there are numerous prospects who started their career off on less than ideal terms and became notable players. So, Moving away from the spotlight in Miami to an organization with success developing middle infielders should should be viewed as a positive development, but we can't overlook the strikeout concerns and character questions, which is ultimately how he's fallen from top 50 to like outside top 200 on some list. Long story short, baseball's hard, and a lot of it's mental. Players need to be able to handle the up and downs, and it's, it only gets more difficult moving through the levels. And I, I believe what's, what's going to be the deciding factor for Watson basically is his mental game even more so than improving the hit tool. But the pieces are there for high upside power speed threat short stuff. He puts it together. You know, I, I can see the logic in moving on from him. If you don't want to deal the risk, I can also see the logic in buying low on him like I did in this draft. It, and it wouldn't cost you very much to find out. 
Yeah, I think hopefully a change in scenery and organization will be big for Khalil Watson. And at this point in the draft, definitely a, was a, a pretty good get there, which does take us into our final round here. As we drafted 12 players, each of us got three picks, or I'm sorry, four picks. And you went with Marco Vargas. Again, the Mets just were cleaning up with prospects here at the deadline. Second base, third base, shortstop plays a lot of the infield positions. 18 years of age, still very young. 284 batting average and 178 plate appearances. He's got nine steals, 21 RBIs, a 22.5% walk rate here. How come you decided to go with Marco Vargas as your last pick here, Mike? Yeah, I basically did my usual upside play with my final pick. I like to do that. I think that's a good strategy to use for in most drafts, like on a boom or bust type of guy. I mean, unless you're filling a specific need, that makes sense to me. So, um, I mean, often the, the final pick in your drafts won't stay on your roster. So filling that spot with someone with the potential to become more makes sense to me. Uh, Marco Vargas is a player I'm least familiar with coming into this week. I mean, and I've started to see his name pop up on social media. So I may be a bit behind the curve. You know, the prospect coverage has really stepped up over the last year. So a lot of the players that took longer to gain traction are getting attention earlier. Uh, anyway, Vargas is, is listed on Fangraphs with the plus hit tool, below average power and below average speed. I always love a plus hit tool. So that checks out. And the lack of power and speed in his profile has probably kept the hype in check so far. As I've said before, the scouting grades for young, unproven players can be inaccurate. He hasn't shown any notable power at this point, but I imagine more is coming because of his strong ability to make contact. And he's also stolen 23 bases in rookie ball since his pro debut. So I think he has more athleticism than anticipated. Overall, we're talking about one of the youngest players traded at the deadline, but he also may have as much potential as most of them. And if everything clicks over time, it's just going to take a few years. I think the Mets did a really nice job adding him here. Uh, You know, a guy with a 22% walk rate, 12% K rate and flashing some level of speed. That's a nice combination to get behind the deeper player. And I suspect some level of power will appear. As I said, the, the overall player situation kind of reminds me of Jason Churio, which I discussed last week. You know, ultimately, there's just a lot of ingredients here if, if he's able to piece it all together. So Miguel Vargas is my last pick in this. Yeah, it, I love your high upside plays. It's kind of like making your mark with taking your shot on somebody. And I, I like the fact that you went Marco Vargas here. And uh, that actually is how many players for the Mets? One, Ryan Clifford, uh, Drew Gilbert, and Acuna. Four of the 12 players were New York Mets uh, prospects. Pretty, pretty wild. Vinny, your last player was, didn't even have a picture online. That's that's how deep we're getting here uh, with Roni Cabrera going to the Kansas City Royals. 18 years of age as well, so a, a deep, deep call here. 333 batting average and 40 plate appearances, 38 RBIs. Uh, Obviously, the stats very raw here, but I I would be shocked if many have heard of Roni Cabrera. So for those of obviously that have never heard the name, talk to us about what Roni Cabrera is and what he's bringing to the Royals. Yeah, um, if you haven't heard of Roni Cabrera, uh, start start remembering that name because we're looking at potentially another DSL monster going into next year. he was the returning piece for Roldis Chapman from the Rangers. Uh, we're looking at a kid, 18 in the DSL. He has, uh, just between this year, between the Rangers and the Royals teams, he has 10 doubles, four triples, and two home runs. We're looking at at least, I would say right now, it is DSL pitching, but if I were to make an assumption, we're looking at a potential 55 power, 55 hit here. Um it is DSL pitching. I want to reiterate that. I, you know, I don't want to uh, confirm that it is that yet until you know maybe we see a little complex. But we're looking at a very advanced hit tool here for an 18-year-old. Uh, the body, there's a lot of physical projection in him too. He is 6'1", 175. So we could potentially see him hit you know another growth spurt come into spring training next year, like 6'3", 220. Like, there's a lot of projection here. The bat looks like it is already off to a very hot start. And the ground ball rate to line drive rate is very nice right now. Uh, the same thing, like he doesn't strike out a lot and he does walk a decent clip. This could be a guy that starts getting a lot of hype going into next year, especially this offseason when we start doing deep dives in the DSL. I would keep him on the radar, potentially stash him in Dynasty. All right. Keep that name, Ronnie Cabrera. Josh, our last pick 
the winning pick, Mr. Irrelevant pick, Nick Nastrini, the Chicago White Sox right-handed pitcher, also ranked as one of their top pitchers now in their organization, 23 years of age in double A, a 403 ERA, 140 whip, 26.1% K rate. We wanted to go big. You said Nastrini might not be there for us with our last pick. He was there, and we snagged him up. So, well, yeah. Little did I know we had to. Uh, to I mean, the the last few picks. If this isn't telling, who who here are the analysts and who are the hosts? I think you guys <laughs> going way deep with Marco Vargas and and Ronnie Cabrera. I had to laugh. Vinny Vinny said something along the lines of. If you haven't heard of Ronnie Cabrera, then and then he filled it in. In my head, I'm like, then you're probably not. What's your nickname, Benny? The Time Lord? The Time Traveler. Time Traveler. Prospect Adamus. Like, I got a bunch now. <laughs> yeah, what a what a ridiculous two <laughs> two picks you guys made. But the, I mean, I looked into them and I, I don't have anything bad to say. Those are exciting players. But our guy, sticking with the theme of some of proximity here, we went with I, I would say some stat first guys, some some guys if you're if you're just looking at the stats who are performing well and this time i thought okay we need at least one guy who's a traditional scouts love him prospect and that's going to be nick nastrini for us now he does have he's had shown some uh, encouraging stats like last year for the dodgers he was statistically the hardest pitcher to hit in their entire org as far as he had the most strikeouts in their org he had the highest strikeout uh rate and he also had the lowest um, batting average against in their entire organization. I believe it was the third lowest batting average against in the entire minors. Uh, this was last year. I think the Dodgers were hoping to see some improvement in the the walk rate here, which is why I was asking earlier. This is this is where you insert the quote that Michael refused to give me that the White Sox can can pick control problems because that seems to be something they they traded for ex- exclusively at the deadline almost is a bunch of uh, pitchers with some really good stuff uh, that seem to struggle with control. I think in the, in, when we were talking about eater, we can expect that to improve just as he gets further and further away from, uh, from Tommy John. And this isn't a, a situation like Takoa Roby who also has electric stuff. Who's in an organization that is known for fixing pitchers, but he does have four average or above offerings. He has a really good fastball, which is always I like to see in a pitcher. I feel like that gives him a, a safe floor. He has a really good slider. Um, makes me a little nervous he has control problems because that's very important uh, when it comes to the slider. And then he's got a pretty decent curveball and changeup. Um, so kind of betting on on the scouting reports on this kid. It's it would it's not unusual to find him ranked already as the top pitching prospect in the White Sox organization. I think I probably agree with with Michael. I'd probably have Eater ahead of him, but Nastrini's got some some stuff to like as well. Well, we I think made up pretty well with this last pick and somebody that's also going to be on the scene very soon. Uh, but that was a fun draft that we did. Again, 12 players here. We obviously could have gone a little deeper, but we felt like these were the 12 that we wanted to bring up on the show. If you guys do have any questions about any of the other prospects that were dealt at the trade deadline, please put them in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube because both Vinny and Mike and then even uh, Josh and I will look at those and then give our thoughts as well. Um, And if you guys are enjoying the content, please make sure you like and subscribe to the Triple Play Fantasy YouTube channel because you'll get notified every single week when this episode drops uh the guys did i forget anything any of any parting words of wisdom for our fellow prospect heads out there uh, i will say ryan clifford just had a 100 mile per hour plus home run in high a for the Mets. that's right team what, what that's are, right are, josh are we team uh super team i sat, sat, sound off in the comments and let us know how much the super team dominated this draft or let us know what your who you've had the, the best draft that Dosh. should be good i like that team dosh team Dosh. vinny oh, or team mike i was trying to see david <laughs> david dosh i don't know uh yeah which team did you guys like the best and again we uh, always appreciate you guys tuning in every single week uh but for josh for mike For Vinny, I'm David. We'll catch you guys next week on The Call-Up.